Welcome to Now Playing Podcast, House of the Dead, Retrospective Series. It was a nightmare. So many dead people. So many victims. It all started a few days ago when I came here for a raid. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. I am completely not in favor of doing this. Hosted by Arnie. A good guy, if not a little goofy. Justin. So, what do you really do for a living? I kill zombies. And Stuart. They missed the boat to the rave. If only they decided to stay back in Seattle. And they'd all be alive today. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Come on, you big wimp. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, boys. Lock and load. Today we're discussing House of the Dead. Starring Jonathan Cherry, Tyrone Lizzo, Clint Howard, Ona Grauer, Ellie Cornell, that's not her real name, or is it? And Jurgen Prochnow, directed by Uwe Bull. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and isn't it nice to know someone wants you for your body? That person is me. This is Stuart. And this is the reanimated homo sapien known as Justin. Back to the bowl. I'm ready for it, guys. I got my sanitation gloves on. I'd seen this film before. I knew what I was going to be diving into. Yeah, I mean, even though this movie did feel like a kick to the bowls, I have seen it before twice. <laughs> this was my third, fourth, and fifth time watching it. Mm. Let's start with something positive, shall we? Which means let's not discuss Uva Bowl right now. Let's discuss the Sega video game. I loved the Sega video game. I don't know how you play it and think that's a movie, but I remember playing it back in the 90s. Even when arcades were pretty much dying, the joystick games had been supplanted by the PlayStation and everything else, but they found gimmicks, right? The chairs that moved or light guns, even though, yes, we all had light guns way back with Duck Hunt, but it was still fun. And these had like force feedback and they were in the movie theaters. They were all over the place. And so when I'd go with my friends or in the 2000s with Marjorie, we would play the hell out of House of the Dead because what's more fun than just picking up a plastic gun and shooting some fucking zombies? Yeah, I mean, there were lots of games like this. It's basically Doom, right? But they're going to put us in a Romero movie. The twist is you're now in a horror movie and you get to hold a gun as you walk through. Very different from Doom. 100% different from Doom. In Doom, you move. In Doom, you control your character. You're dodging fire that's coming at you. You're jumping. You're ducking. You're going through doors and figuring out your pathway. This is just a shooter. This is duck hunt for zombies because it's what they call on rails. You shoot some zombies. The character moves to the next predefined location. You shoot some more zombies. You can't control your character. 
It isn't a first-person shooter because even though you are shooting and you have a first-person perspective, you have really no control over anything except what you shoot. Uh, you know what? The more you guys talk about this, the more this game sounds familiar. The name is kind of generic, so it doesn't really stand out in my memory as one of those games. But yeah, I'm, I'm starting to have a little flashback of popping a few coins in at the arcade and playing these games. And it wasn't just like handguns, right? It was like Uzis or shotguns. There were a lot of these games, though. There was one that had the guns mounted on it, and you'd shoot with Uzis, and it had a lot of recoil. And then there was a sniper game that was really cool. You could look through the scope, and it was its own monitor, so you could see bigger things. But then you look away from the scope and look at the big monitor and see the neighborhood. Shooting games was a real big thing in the late 90s and early 2000s, and... This one, I think it might have been in certain cases you could get rifles or pistols, but they'd be holstered and usually a neon color. And yeah, in this one, you were shooting the zombies. And it really, in so many ways, was a ripoff of Resident Evil, except again, you're not controlling your character, but you're still going into a house where a scientific experiment occurred, you're fighting zombies and other zombified creatures and you get down into the basement and you find that the scientist who's done it all has a big monster waiting for you and there's secret agencies that are trying to cover it up this is before resident evil this game predates that it hit the u.s in march 97 and came out in japan in 96 yeah and resident evil was released in early 96 okay so around the same time. I don't know if you can call it a ripoff. Just people all having the same idea. Yeah. Resident Evil always felt a little more alien monster-ish, where this is definitely reanimated corpses of humans for the most part. True. Although, if you play the games, there's a lot of the monsters too. There's giant things that are 12 feet tall wearing armor, and there's a flying demon who turns like and really is modulated. I thought I didn't like it. I remember being in some bar and popping a few quarters in and just being bad at it. But Arnie, you and I sat down and you got a hold of the House of the Dead 2 and 3. We played those and it was repetitive, but I had fun doing it. There were irritants. I really hate the fact that you were always having to reload and you have to point your gun away from the screen in order to do so. Every time I got a clear bead on some ghoul, I had to point away. It was just irritating in that way. A little wonky. Calibrating the aim also. It got a little off there. But for a shooter, I had a lot more fun playing that with you than, say, Goldeneye. How do you replicate this at home? Do you have peripheral gun attachments or are you just playing with the controller? All right. There is versions where you just play with the controller and, like, the first one we never played because it was put out for the Dreamcast or something. And I watched some Dreamcast play. First of all, the graphics were shit. And second of all, I do think you're just using your controller from the way the thing was moving. Stewart said it was fun, but I mentioned how with Need for Speed, I got the wheel. I got the pedals, right? I'm into immersive gaming. I had surround sound on my computer in the year 2000. I didn't even have surround sound on my television, but I put it on my computer so I could hear these sounds. So Stuart walks in, and I've gone all out. I picked up a Wii U, which would play the Wii games. I got the gun attachments, where you take the Wii controller, because you can just use the Wii controller and shoot. But I got the little gun attachments, so you're pulling a trigger, and it feels like you got a gun. I went to the nines on it, and it was a hell of a lot of fun. But yeah, the fact is, because it's a home game, 
they want you to have some skill and not just put in virtual quarters till the end. So you could only continue like three times. So we beat the first two levels a lot of part two. Yeah, we couldn't get very far into the house. Actually, it wasn't in the house. The first game, House of the Dead, is in the house. And then part two, you're in Italy. Part three, you're like in post-apocalyptic somewhere. 2019, which who knows? Maybe. <laughs> and House of the Dead... I didn't consider it all that violent. I mean, you're shooting, but you're shooting zombies and zombie frogs and zombie eels. But it was actually the center of a First Amendment court case. The city of Indianapolis decided to ban violent video games, saying that they were not protected by the First Amendment because they were obscene. And House of the Dead was at the front of that lawsuit. This was the most obscene game where they said that there is flamboyant killing with severing of limbs and effusion of blood. <laughs> I will say, I tried to help all the citizens, but half the times I did end up shooting little boys and <laughs> defenseless women just begging me for help. You can miss. And it can take out real mortals and not just zombies. I suspect that's why one of the games, I think the later one, House of the Dead 3, had the option of changing the blood color from red to green. Actually, it defaulted to green, and I turned it to red every time. And a lot of the later video games was green. The Dreamcast one, I noticed. The original arcade, the zombies were red, but to be a little more palpable for home viewing, they changed the blood to green. In the Wii, yeah, you can choose which blood color you want. But they did get laughed out of court. I was going to say, if they had a good lawyer with this First Amendment challenge here, they could have just used the Second Amendment as their right. I mean, <laughs> it's a game about guns. This is the 90s, right? There was a lot of of entertainment that was on the block. The moral majority, the Republicans, and Al Gore's wife, they were really going after art that was provocative. It was when they started the ratings thing as well. I mean, the first Grand Theft Auto would come out within a couple of years. Sure, explicit lyric labels on CDs and tapes. That was Tipper. Yeah, but the House of the Dead game I played the most, I had one for my PC. It was called Typing of the Dead. It came free with a CD-ROM, and it was to teach you to speed type. And I used to type at 140 words a minute, and every so often I find a game that makes me decide I want to get back and practice my skill. So it was House of the Dead 2, but instead of a gun, there were words, and I had to type the words fast enough to kill the zombies. <laughs> You know, it was better than my typing class. That seems like a thing that properties do. I mean, there's been Mickey teaches you typing, Mario teaches you typing. It must be something easy to program and just slap a licensed property on top of it. The very first Facebook game I ever played was a damn typing game. Remember, the letters would fall. <laughs> and you were a pro. And here's what gets me is I did a deep dive into House of the Dead story because we played part two. And yeah, there's some winged creature that's calling monsters and is like, you'll never save G. And I'm like, who's G? Yeah, he's in this movie. <laughs> yeah. So I went and watched somebody play the arcade version of House of the Dead from beginning to end. And I'm like, all right, I got a little bit out of it. I see there's a house. And I see there's this guy, but I go to the wiki, there's like four paragraphs of story. And this game, they beat it in under a half an hour, and there were no cutscenes. So I'm like, where'd they get this story? So I, like, maybe it's the home version. Watch somebody do the same thing on the Dreamcast. No freaking story. They're pulling this out of manuals. Remember when you used to have a game manual and it would <laughs> tell you the setup? And 
off the sides of arcade cabinets. There is an entire wiki devoted to House of the Dead Minutia. And in fact, there's running mysteries from game to game. And they've gotten better at the storytelling as they focused more on the home console. But because it's an arcade game, they don't expect you to get deeply invested in a story while you're drinking a beer, you know, which is where you play more games these days. Dave and Buster's, you get a drink and shoot some stuff. But there are recurring characters. G was one of the two agents in the first game, since there's always two guns. There's two characters. The AMS, I don't even know what that is, but you're like some men in black. Like everyone that's hunting these creatures, they're part of some international agency devoted to hunting zombies. Nobody knows what AMS stands for. It has never been spelled out in any of the House of the Dead games. <laughs> Extensive mythology. No idea what is driving these people to do what they're doing. <laughs> According to the writer's commentary on this movie, because yes, there were two commentaries for this Ubol film. Deservedly. Mm. Was one just a laugh track? <laughs> <laughs> they thought it stood for the Agency of Mystical Services. Okay, sure. But really, it's the Sega programming group. They were the AMS group. So I think they were just patting themselves on the back. But yeah, what we're seeing here is trying to tie into and adapt the mythology of the games. All of this adds up to what I imagine is somewhat of a PR nightmare for the people building up to making this movie, because this is a generic name, House of the Dead. That's not something that's going to stick with me. And then years later, I'm going to be like, oh my God, they're making a movie about that arcade game I played. Where's the connection between something you popped quarters in and then years later having a movie come out? Right. Well, there are several surprising things about this film. And I think the first of it is we assume after having lived through Alone in the Dark that this is all the handiwork of evil, crafty Uva Bowl who's using tax loops to get rich off of making bad films. Surprise number one, this really isn't his project. He was brought in as a hired gun. If you want to know why this got adapted, you have to look at the screenplay writer, Mark Altman. He was the one that played the game. He was the one that went to Japan and said to Sega, please let me have the rights to this. I want to make a good movie out of it. He's also the producer of this movie. And he was coming off of a film that I'd seen and really did not like called Free Enterprise. Have you heard of this one? I'm aware of it. No. It was uh, Swingers, but with William Shatner. It was Nerds, but the movie Swingers. And it had Eric McCormick from Will and Grace as the main guy who is trying to be a film writer and director and having relationship problems. And because he's in Hollywood, he becomes friends with the William Shatner. But in truth, the character's a real big Trekkie. And so he's getting life advice from Captain Kirk and... I saw it. It came out around the same time as Trekkies, and so making fun of Star Trek was in. It came out in 99. I mean, Galaxy Quest was a few months away, and I did not like that movie. But he went to Japan and showed Sega executives Free Enterprise, and they said, we trust you to do a good movie with those properties so you can have House of the Dead. Maybe you didn't like Free Enterprise, but it's a legit movie. It's not like this movie. <laughs> you would think that anyone that made this movie was a clown, was someone that 
that had never worked and never would work again, except for Uva Bull. Surprise number two is, no, Mark Altman has a career. To this day, he is producing shows for Turner Network. The Librarians, I think, is his most popular, but it took the scrawny guy from ER. He's like an adventurer librarian. His name's Noah Weil, and he's a pretty big star. I, I mean, <laughs> to you. <laughs> but anyway, my point is, this is an amateur hour. This guy wrote this script, and he wrote and got paid for it again. He's no fool. And Altman wanted to fix this movie. He was arguing that reshoots needed to happen. Certain scenes had terrible performances, the scenes that didn't match. He wanted to do reshoots, but he said he doesn't know who made the decision, but the motto was, we don't reshoot. So we get what we get. To me, this is a House of the Dead movie. You should just be doing nothing but shooting. Shoot, reshoot, do whatever you have to. It's a shooter. <laughs> it sounds to me, when I look at the suspects involved with this film, Altman is more or less not to blame. I will not put him in movie jail. He's no relation to Robert Altman, I would hope. No. Okay. <laughs> not that I know of. Yeah, it seems like he went into this with the best of intentions, and he did the second commentary track for this disc. It was completely him, and he knew. And I'll just put this up front. I feel a little bit bad with the beating we will give this movie, because it's not his script. Yeah. His script was written, and apparently all the pages of setup were ripped out and replaced with that voiceover at the beginning. Yes. And all his dialogue was ripped out, and Uvo told them, just ad-lib the middle of the movie, and then their end of the film didn't get shot. And then a lot of the film that was shot, according to Altman, Uva had a style which... All right, Altman did say some funny things. He's like, Uva is like Michael Bay in that they both shoot with two or three cameras at once, and then they just get the coverage all at once instead of doing a master shot and the close-up shots, and then Uvo just keeps moving on and sets up the next shot, and the cameraman didn't like it because of the lighting, and we had to throw out several scenes because the continuity just didn't match. <laughs> so certain plot elements that were described and filmed they just couldn't even use because it was so out of sync in color and everything and so why did they go with him because again sega gives them the rights he's a screenwriter not yet a director he feels like he needs to get someone established to bring this vision to life yes uva bowl has made about half a dozen films at this point none of which are respected none of which have been commercially released in america he's not getting a kickback from sega so what on earth could they have seen in him to say this is our guy did he just work for cheap I think cheap was part of it. One other thing I want to say is, according to Wiki, the budget of this movie was $10 million. Now, according to Altman, who was one of the producers and involved on the commentary, he goes, yeah, I've seen these numbers online that say this movie costs so much. We had a budget of $5 million. A million went to the writer, director, producers. So we had $4 million to actually make this movie. Yeah. So that number of 10 million, I don't know where they're sourcing it from. 
I checked even. Wiki is sourcing Box Office Mojo, and Box Office Mojo is sourcing nobody. So <laughs> somebody pulled that number out of air, but it costs far less than that. And so a lot of things in his script that were in the game, like flying demons and frog demons and demons of all kinds of sorts, well, it fell first to the budget and second to Uva saying, well, that's not realistic. They all have to just be zombies. Otherwise, it's not realistic. Realism. <laughs> I know that that is his central concern. <laughs> When he sits down to make a movie, boy, it's going to be realistic. The third surprise that hit me to the ground like a Mack truck, this was commercially released in 1,500 movie theaters? People walked into a movie theater, paid cash, sat down, and they got this? According to Altman, this movie was so successful because it did make $13, $14 million on their $5 million budget that a sequel was demanded by Lionsgate. That's why we're going to be talking about it more next week. It was an instant hit, but come on zombies were big there's a reason i rented this movie back in the day i didn't see it in theaters but i thought about it that trailer with that zombie sticking his tongue in the girl's ear that was icky yeah when i found out that this had not gone straight to tape but in fact gone to movie theaters and made a sizable profit i was like how did they market this and the answer is After Effects. If you look at that trailer, almost every shot has been tweaked with animation and things that make it look much cooler than any image we're actually going to get in the film. Lionsgate was smart to show us a movie that was not going to be there when you sat down in the theater. It's interesting that you guys were even aware of this at the time. All of this just must have washed right over me. I wasn't anti-zombie movies or anything at the time. And House of the Dead might have even tricked me into thinking it might have been a Romero type of project. Right. So I'm not even sure how this went by me without, or why you guys were aware of it even. Well, it came out the same weekend as Kill Bill and the Coen Brothers movie Intolerable Cruelty and some dog movie called Good Boy. It finished behind all of those, but the week before Texas Chainsaw Massacre's remake, this blows my mind that this movie was competing in the same way that they thought they had a project that was as professional and could show its face in the same kinds of theaters that would play commercial legitimate films. That was astounding to me. The reason I knew about it was 28 Days Later and Resident Evil really, pardon the pun, reanimated the zombie genre. And I loved, loved, loved 28 Days Later. So when I saw another zombie movie coming out the next year, I was damn interested in seeing it. And I did see Dawn of the Dead and Land of the Dead and Shaun of the Dead all in theaters. You say you're not anti-zombie, but at that point, I've always loved horror movies. And 28 Days Later showed me something I never thought, that zombies could be cool and so I was pro-zombie and looking for zombies. But you didn't see this in movie theaters, because I remember you watching this. You turned around and did it to me. You were like, you have to watch this movie. It's so horrible. I had no interest in it, but I have seen this before because Arnie saw it and he needed someone to witness. In my own defense, yes, I rented this when it was a brand new release because I had missed it in theaters. And then Dawn of the Dead had come out since then because we didn't have six to eight week video windows like we have today. So I was on a real zombie high. I went and rented the original Dawn of the Dead and this House of the Dead. And I watched House of the Dead. And 
was revolted. I cannot describe how negative my reaction was. And Stuart came over and I'm like, let me just show you this first 10 minutes because that's all you'll need to see. But I've done that to Stuart once or twice. But he won't let go because he loves a good, bad movie. And so I wasn't saying, no, Stuart, I have the keys to your car and you won't leave until the credits roll. I started it like, let's just watch a little. And you were there till the end. You remember this very differently than me. I spent half of that screening in the bathroom taking a shit. (laughs) 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 Kind of like Greg in this movie. I was like, I'd rather be on the toilet than fighting zombies. (laughs) I do not remember that at all, because my memory was I left you to watch it because I couldn't sit through it a second time. (laughs) Oh, well, maybe you didn't know, but yes, I I was going off and doing other things. So I think I was cleaning your house. (laughs) House of the Dead or House of Arnie? I'll pick House of Arnie. (laughs) So you kind of hinted at it there, Arnie. If Romero can be considered the grandfather of the zombie genre and kind of the campiness in all that brought to us in the 70s, and 28 Days Later can be considered the revival of the genre and showing us something new and cool, where does this movie kind of land in that? Also, Ran, do you ever have a cousin or an uncle that you just don't talk about? That's where <laughs> this fits. Although... I will say they did a special feature for this movie. I watched it and I couldn't believe it. And they made it all about zombies. And somehow they got George Romero and Tom Savini to talk about the zombie movies. And George Romero's there like, well, I was busy in the 90s, so I didn't make my fourth dead movie. But I have this idea. He just describes what Land of the Dead is going to be, like down to the last detail. Yeah, he was about to get it made. And keep in mind, he was offered and was on the set of Resident Evil. That was going to be his franchise. And he walked away over creative differences. Yeah, but it killed me. He said something to the effect of, with movies like House of the Dead, the zombie genre is finally legitimate. I'm like, wait, you clearly haven't watched the movie, and clearly in order to get funding for Land of the Dead, you'll say anything. (laughs) (laughs) That had to be what it was. We will pay you whatever you need to start up. It was like Kickstarter before Kickstarter. (laughs) Well, get your movie up and running, but you have to compliment our abysmal zombie ripoff. Kickstarter before Kickstarter starter was known as whoring yeah it was really embarrassing you just don't like to see someone you respect groveling at the feet of someone that just doesn't deserve it what made me cringe is when tom savini's saying yeah george asked me how we do the next zombie movie and i said cgi because if you have good cgi and he specifically called out not like an american werewolf in paris that's perhaps the worst of the cgi which makes me want to revisit that film now. But he thinks that the future of gore was CGI. Well, at least he didn't say we're going to study this film. I think we've teased it enough. Arnie, why don't you give him the plot for House of the Dead and we can get through it. And please take off your shirt for no apparent reason. Okay. (laughs) There's a lot of that in this movie, just warning you. (laughs) So, House of the Dead. I read the cast list, but it follows six young people. There's Rudy, played by Jonathan Cherry, Alicia, played by Ona Grauer, Karma, yes, Karma, hippie parents, I guess, played by Inuka Okuma, Simon, played by Tyron Lito, Greg, played by Will Sanderson, and Cynthia, played by Sonia Saloma. Got all those names? Nope. 
Let me just tell you the character names again. I don't know that the actor names really matter, but they all have worked before and again. Rudy, Alicia, Karma, Simon, Greg, and Cynthia. And I can't keep them fucking straight either. And you can't forget Liberty. Yeah, I could keep Liberty straight because she was really... Mm. We'll get to Liberty, but we'll not get to Tyranny. <laughs> she was left on a cutting room floor. I'm not even joking. <laughs> Well, all these people want to go to the most amazing rave mm. being held on an island. But only Rudy gets there on time to make the boat. The others literally miss it. So they find a stereotypical crusty boat captain named Kirk, played by Jurgen Proshnow, who's probably wishing he was back in Wing Commander because that's looking good these days. <laughs> Just remember, keep one in the chamber for yourself. <laughs> And his first mate, Salish, played by Clint Howard. They won't take the people to the island for $600 because it's Isla de Muerta, Island of the Dead. But for a thousand, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> They're chased there by law enforcer Jordan Casper, played by Ellie Cornell, who thinks Kirk may be smuggling. But wouldn't you know it, the island was where, in the 15th century, a Catholic priest performed experiments in immortality. <laughs> They're lucky that's all he did. Isn't that, all <laughs> Isn't that always the case with a rave? You go, you try to have your rave, and there's a Catholic priest doing illegal things there. Yeah, Sega's gonna come out of this looking really bad. <laughs> Where did Apple hold their retreat? Oh, Vale. Where did Sega hold their retreat? Oh, the Island of the Dead. <laughs> <laughs> what can we do? Trojam and Earl 3 just ain't selling. The Dreamcast is a total flop. It's an age-old tale. Who hasn't heard this a thousand times? The priest's name was Castillo Sermano, played by David Palfi, and he did discover the secret to eternal life, but his flesh continued to rot, so he stayed on the island trying to perfect the experiments. I'm guessing a lot of ravers went there, or maybe in the 90s they were doing a achy breaky party or something and country line dancing yeah something like that so he's trying to perfect the experiments and patch up his rotting flesh with new flesh so the island is overrun with zombies that wait until after the rave is kind of broken up to attack <laughs> teaming up with the few survivors from the rave the group fight zombies until only rudy and alicia are left alive and sermano takes them to be his next experiments but Alicia was a fencer in college, and so she engages Sermano in a sword fight. She's stabbed in the chest, but during the fight, Rudy cuts off Sermano's head, and Alicia's last act is stomping on it, squashing it, and killing the priest. So, not quite immortal, I guess? Then AMS agents show up to the island where Rudy says he doesn't know if Alicia will be okay or not, and reveals his last name is Curian. As credits roll. All right, Curian. Were you guys as dumbfounded as I was like, and when he reveals that last name? No, because the opening credits show little clips of cutscenes and rejiggered fight attacks. Actually, there's a lot of 
There's a lot of the game in this entire <laughs> film, but the credits specifically have a cutscene where a woman falls on the ground and says, you must stop curing and die. So I went and I looked that up and that was the mad scientist that ran the House of the Dead. The fact that we're going to see a young man called Curian, he's either going to grow up to create that House of the Dead or he's related in some way to the person that will create the havoc in the video game. This is a prequel to the video game. And Sega really wanted the flying creatures and everything because since this was going to be an original script, they were interested in adapting this to be the next House of the Dead game. So whereas we talked with Alone in the Dark and things about how the movies come out to promote the game, Sega's like, yes, you're going to write our next game for us. That never happened. Yeah, I can't imagine <laughs> game programmers or anyone really sitting down and studying this film and saying, let's do it again. They intended this guy, even though his name's Rudy, and from what I've read, Curian in the game was named Roy, but they are saying this is where he got his ideas. All the reanimating of corpses that was done in the first House of the Dead, it's all because of Castillo Sermano and this. So this is the prequel to the first game. That's fine, you know, laying some seeds for future storytelling. I'm perfectly fine with that. I'm fine with it too, but it requires deep knowledge of a game or just catching a really brief moment in the opening credits because, again, I played and watched walkthroughs and things of the later games. Curian is the bad guy from the first one. He's brought up in some future ones, but you have to have gotten pretty far in this shooter that primarily was played in bars to know who Curian was. Well, what it tells me is they have to do some kind of explaining why we're not in a house filled with dead people. Instead, we're going to go to a rave. And I do remember one of the big laugh-out lines in a script full of many of them is that we have this opening monologue in which Rudy is just sitting there monologuing in a graveyard, sounding like Martin Sheen at the beginning of Apocalypse Now. It all started a few days ago when I came here for a raid. <laughs> I mean, we're grown. We know instantly, oh God, this is just pandering to a youth market. Actually, raves are out of step in 2003. Uwe Boll is behind the times, but he thinks he's being trendy. Also, raves have always been bigger in Europe than they were in the States. In the States, they were done by 2003. But if they're playing for a youth market, understand, when I first saw this movie, I was around the age of these actors. I was in my 20s. It should have been appealing to me. Seeing a rave in the daytime without glow sticks, that's just a party, right? But... When is he narrating this? Is this after the fact? Yeah, this is before the AMS helicopter arrives to take him away. He lets us know he is the sole survivor. Everyone we are going to meet will die. Okay, yeah, because all that remains is the rotten smell of death and my wooden line readings. Because <laughs> these are bad. I do think that how Uwe Boll is able to have so much influence in all of this rotten dialogue is that this movie was filmed so quickly they got shit sound and so they had to do all this ADR work and he realized they had to cut scenes that would have explained characters and so you just have a lot of monologue, a lot of lines that weren't said by the cast members doing shooting that Uwe Boll wrote when he was there in the editing bay and said come in and do this line reading. Maybe the guy didn't think it was going 
going to be in there. Maybe he thought, like Harrison Ford, if I say it bad enough, they'll never include me saying, it all started when I went to that raid. <laughs> oh, my God. It's just the opening. I mean, you know you're in for shit when the first thing you hear is, it was a nightmare. So many dead people. So many victims. And then the opening music of this is just god-awful assault on my senses. Well, Prodigy, you know, again, behind the times, but they were trying to do that techno rave pop that Prodigy had kind of firestarter. It vaguely sounds like firestarter to me. Was it actually Prodigy or was it just a Prodigy sound alike? The soundtrack is yet again composed of people who paid to have their music on there. Okay. This is all fake bands. No, no. This is, again, remember, Uva wasn't the one doing this. This is music they paid for. Oh, Okay. They chose this. Oh, okay. Well, again, <laughs> their budget, which it sounded like it was depleting all the time, but it sets the tone that, yes, we are not adapting the video game. We are going to the rave, and that brings back a lot of bad memories for me. I think we covered this. Rave to the Grave was the fourth Return of the Living Dead film. And it came out after this. Like, it saw this movie and didn't change its plot or its title. <laughs> yeah, well, they were in, like, Eastern Europe. They had just gotten sunlight last week. I mean, they just, they don't know. <laughs> Miami Vice, new number one show. <laughs> <laughs> one of the self-aware things of this movie that's going to piss me off as we go along is that, yes, every once in a while you're going to feel like, oh, I've seen this before a million times, and you start to get a Scooby-Doo movie vibe, and they're going to reference it. You start to get a Romero vibe. They reference it. So it's like, Uva Bowl is cutting us off at the knees, thinking he's more clever than the critics. It pisses me off to think that he is thinking he's one step ahead of everybody. <laughs> you just can't stand that this awful filmmaker thinks he's better than you at anything. <laughs> yeah, it hurts. I mean, yeah, anyone that picked up a camera has probably made a better film. But here we are by, yeah, someone that's smirking. And I think it's his worst attribute. There are many terrible things about Uva Bowl as a filmmaker and maybe even as a person when I think about that tax shelter shit he does. But the fact that he thinks he's funny is the worst thing about this movie. All of the humor lands with a disquieting thud. It is what is truly dead here. I guess it's nice that he wants something lighter. I do feel like this movie would be better if it was in the keeping of Return of the Living Dead. If they were doing Romero, but with that punk rock funny vibe that I enjoyed so much from the first film. But this is a guy that just doesn't understand humor. A lot of the jokes were put in there by Altman. There's a lot of Star Trek references in here. I mean, Clint Howard was in the very first Star Trek episode. You've got Captain Kirk. The problem is it's a reference. It's not clever. You got to do more than name drop in order to be funny. Yeah, I think he is a Trekkie, which is why he did Free Enterprise. He probably was much like that character geeking out at working with William Shatner. And now he's moved on to his next script and can't let go of the Trek references. Yeah, but they're filled. It's not just Trek. I mean, I agree. That's here. There's a lot of Living Dead here. All of this is a pastiche of everything you've seen before. If you're wanting to know what they made that was different, the thing that I kept hearing Uva Boll say that was going to make this movie innovative was it was going to be faster. And I think he was just talking about his working style. I'm just <laughs> going to make this faster than I should so that everything is rushed and nothing gets established and we didn't get the coverage and we're meeting five people on a dock and don't understand a thing about. 
<laughs> so that means that he maybe possibly didn't see 28 Days Later because the new conceit that that movie brought was, hey, these dead people are coming back and they're not the slow, marauding corpse people walking down the street that you don't want to get bit by. These guys are jumping over cars and running after you. And I think that's what he's trying to try to do here, but not all the time. Like sometimes his horde is slow and Romero-like. Sometimes you can walk right by him and they don't see you. I'm going to get really caught up in what I think should be zombie rules and how this movie is constantly ignoring its own rules. He actually explained this in a makeup feature. There were intentionally five stages of zombieism. The newly turned zombies still could move quickly, still looked mostly human, maybe had a small wound. Some apparently were only wearing contact lenses, and those were probably the ones I thought missed the makeup session, but were still put in there to act like zombies. But then there were the ones who were starting to rot, the ones that were in a middle stage, all the way up to the full moss people that looked like they crawled out of the grave. The longer they'd been dead, the slower they are, the dumber they are, the more Romero they are. Okay, so there's a little bit of a excuse there. It was never explained to us on screen in such a way. No. That would have been too helpful. But also, they don't explain anything. They don't explain who these characters are. There are a lot of characters that are truly interchangeable in this film. Greg versus Simon versus... I could only keep track of, honestly, Karma, because she was named Karma and because she was African-American. And later on, Liberty. But I thought Liberty was from this original group. I mean, I did watch this a couple of times. And I still can't exactly tell you what Cynthia's through line is. All right, well, let me help you then. Because this is the stuff that makes me laugh. I'm here for a brown arrow. Everyone knows there is no green. You left a brown arrow in my house when you watched it the first time. <laughs> <laughs> but will it be fun? That is what I'm counting on. Alone in the Dark ended up not being an entertaining fun bad movie but this movie's reputation is even worse and it does have this pattern again it's all the voiceover stuff it's the fact that as they're being introduced rudy says alicia is his girlfriend but he broke up with her so he could study more and she could fence <laughs> that right there is just hilarious <laughs> okay you've clumsily very clumsily set up the fact that she's going to pick up a sword at some point and fight zombies and this was again uva looking at the script and seeing like four pages of Alicia saying she doesn't want to go to a rave where her ex-boyfriend is and her friends convincing her while she's fencing and then taking a long, luxurious naked shower. So Uva decides, let's take that scene out and just add it to this awful... I mean, yes, I am laughing when he says she wants to fence. I'm like, as in sell stolen goods? What is it that's going to make you want to break up with someone? Is that a career you can do? Is it like, I would love to kiss you, but I got to pick up the sword right now and spend five hours with a mask on? I just, I don't understand. There are many wedges to relationships i've never heard fencing coming between anyone long nights at the fencing office you know <laughs> <laughs> yes there's a lot of not understanding how things work like there's one boat to get to a rave they are in seattle on a dock they missed the five o'clock boat because all the ravers are going to definitely be awake and ready to go at five o'clock in the afternoon they missed it so now they have to charter another boat Yes, and none of these are the guy who was giving the voiceover. These are his friends, and he's like, If only they'd decided to stay back in Seattle, they'd all be alive today. 
It's just so awful. And this is so clearly not the United States. This is Vancouver. I never thought it was Seattle. If he hadn't said that, I would have... I don't know where I would have thought. Maybe the Caribbean, because didn't we review Johnny Depp going to Isla de Muerta in one of those films? <laughs> you know what? Close enough location-wise. I mean, Vancouver's just north of Seattle, so it's not like you're trying to convince me that Alaska is somewhere in Texas. Yeah, at least they're not in Poland. But I agree, things aren't working right. Like, they go to this boat, the Lazarus Five. I'm so clever. Lazarus Five, and then, yes... Clint Howard has got the camp blood. You can't go there. It's got a death curse role. He's the crazy man that's warning them, don't go to this rave. It's it's all foreshadowing. If this movie were a parody, they'd be on stronger footing, right? If they were trying to be scary movie and hitting these cliches like, oh, I know you're going to roll your eyes at this and that... I mean, a black cat is the only thing I missed. Like, everything else they did, it's just stuff at this point that reads as parody. They were trying not for parody, but for skewering your expectations. What I didn't get until I listened to the commentary is they were making fun of or referencing I Know What You Did Last Summer, where the Gordon's Fisherman or the Morton Salt Girl was the murderer and ended up with a hook for a hand. When you see Clint Howard here, he's in the yellow slicker and they retracted his hand into the sleeve so it looks like he has a hook hand. So you're supposed to think he's the killer out of that movie and then no, it's just friendly Clint Howard who's going to creepily try to warn them of death. Yeah, and then their U-boat captain, a reference to the fact that Jurgen Proch now... Was most famous movie is Das Boot, the boat from the 80s. It was a sub-film that was very loved. German, and I'm sure Uva grew up loving it, and this is probably a big deal that he's working with him. <laughs> and Prajnow was not happy with Uva. <laughs> No, I mean, how could you be? Because the script kept changing day to day. A lot of times, Uva would be like, just ad-lib this scene. Don't worry about the script. And other people were ad-libbing. And Prajnow was like, I took this job because I liked the script. I'm saying the script. And he was not too pleased with the loosey-goosey way of filmmaking that Uva was endorsing. So Prochnow got the fuck away from Uva. He never worked with him again. Yeah, that seemed to be the sentiment from everyone. I watched the special effects featurette and they were just like, the real challenge of this film was how fast we had to make these things because you'd show up and Uva would just demand a new creation on the spot. I'm like, oh, I get it. I get everything here is that there may have been a decent B movie with some winking camp and then this guy with a bad sense of humor and no sense of time is just making them race through it to the point that it's nonsense. Suddenly you have the United States Marine Patrol arriving for their routine inspection every second Friday of the month and they're going through this smuggler's boat and that's the reason why Jurgen Prashnauer has got to kick off and get away. He's a smuggler of Cuban cigars I don't know how you go from Cuba to Seattle, but Cuban cigar smoke, <laughs> nobody will see it coming. <laughs> yeah, the amount of gas he's going to spend will never be made up for what they sell on the black market. And if you know, if it's a routine, every Friday she's showing up to look at your boat, maybe you move them the night before, but instead he's got to run. 
<laughs> and so the island he swore he'd never go to is actually the best place to stash my Cuban cigars. And I'll bring these kids along too because they're paying me a thousand bucks. I love how the Marines are also announcing their arrival from five miles away over a loudspeaker. Again, voiceover <laughs> because we don't even see the actress that's doing it for much of the film. She's on the wrong pier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I recognize her. She's one of my least favorite characters from Halloween 4. I didn't recognize her, but I looked her up at the moment. I have not seen Halloween 4 or mm. 5 since we've reviewed them. And yet that screech of Rachel <laughs> is still in my head. I can understand why Proch now is just gunning the motor. I would rather be on an island of dead than on a boat with Rachel. <laughs> or Uva. Yeah, true. Now, apparently there were scenes scripted, never filmed. These two had a relationship at one point, and I kind of get that. They seem like a bickering married couple if what you're bickering about is smuggling cigars. Yes, she's mad at him because they were in, quote, the service together. They got out of it, and she didn't understand why he didn't want to work for Uncle Sam, which, by the way, being in the service is working for Uncle Sam. Please believe that this is America. Please believe this is Seattle, USA. I can't. There's no American flag on the boat. There are plenty, though, when we get to the rave. That's what liberty is. Guys, give me liberty or give me death. <laughs> I'll take death. <laughs> yeah, so this crew, they're going to finally get to the rave. The sun is setting. And the rave is gone by the time they get there. We've had several inserts of the rave, and there were several more inserts that were cut. I saw the cut scenes, including one that starred a real DJ known as Biff Naked. She was the DJ of the party. Yeah, they're basically so Bull can have a joke about how she's going to spend Celine Dion and Barry Manilow if her ravers don't treat her right. Again, this is what this guy is all about. Let me just take easy targets and laugh at them but that rave who starts raving at 5 15 p.m i am going to argue that this is actually the most realistic accurate part of the whole film as a rave, this is a nightmare. This looks like someone's <laughs> barbecue. The promoter would normally crawl under a rock and die, but when I found out it was a Sega rave, it's a corporately sponsored event. I had an acid flashback to the Christmas parties where I would see like IT co-workers <laughs> crunking the Tootsie Roll. And I'm like, yes, this is actually what it's like. Lots and lots of very bad dancing. All they need are people on the side saying, yeah, I'm putting in applications and just trying to leave Sega and go work for Apple or Nintendo. All right, here's the story on the Sega thing. It's not supposed to be a Sega-sponsored rave. Oh, it isn't. <laughs> they thought it would be a funny Easter egg if they just had a Sega banner somewhere in the corner of the frame. The corner? <laughs> it's the giant banner that stretches across the stage. The writer takes the banner from Sega and gives it to the prop master and says, listen, just put this out of the way somewhere where it's not going to be too visible. The prop master misinterprets this <laughs> as we need to get it in the film somehow. So he thought he was doing a favor by putting it on <laughs> top of the rave so that every shot of the rave would have the big Sega banner in it. And by the time the producer saw it, it was literally too late to cut it down and still shoot the rave. <laughs> Again, it makes Sega look very, very bad. Let's host this on an island that is known for killing people. <laughs> this is the big rave event of the year. It's like some solo cups and like 
DJ Biff Naked. It's yeah, it it was dead before the zombies arrived. Yeah. This movie came out in 03. Their last console system was canceled in 01. So this is about what Sega could afford. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But slowly, they have a few teases of guests that get killed. They know that they need to keep us interested by punctuating it with death. Teasing the idea... I mean, if you didn't play the game and you only heard the title, you wouldn't know what's waiting for them. You wouldn't necessarily even know that they're zombies. You definitely don't know it in these early scenes because they cut away so fast. Who would watch this movie, though, and not know? I think you got to take it as a given that if you don't know the game, and apparently from that last line of, my last name is Curian, they're expecting you to know the game intimately, but you've seen a trailer. It's of the dead, blank of the dead. They're referencing Romero. You know it's zombies, but that makes it really confusing why they're going to rip off Jaws. My memory was we see this guy following this chick to the beach and, you know, he won't get in because it makes his heart on shrink and she does the topless stuff. And yeah, I guess it's kind of like Jaws. Everything's kind of like something you liked once. (laughs) But my memory was he goes and takes a swig of a beer that's just lying there. Like all the zombies were like these ravers that had drunk contaminated liquor, that the beer was the thing that turned them into the zombie. I believe that was Rave to the Grave. Was it Rave yeah. the Grave? <laughs> I know it was Leviathan, but I couldn't remember where I was getting that. But for half this movie, I'm like, see, he's drinking the beer. He's going to turn into a zombie. <laughs> yeah, they put the liquid extract into the pills, the, you know, the drug. The drug turned him into the zombies. Yes, yes. Rave to the Grave. What we get here is actually just a clever misdirection then. Because while we're thinking that it's going to be the topless girl in the water, who seems to be getting pulled under, but never really panics. She comes back up to the beach to find her boyfriend missing. And this actress, you guys are just referring to her as the topless actress there. First of all, her name's Johanna, is the character. But the actress, she's billed as Erica Parker. She changed her name after this movie, became known as Erica Durance, ended up starring for several seasons on Smallville as Lois Lane. Oh, wow. Oh, her. Okay, yeah. You mentioned her before. This was an early role. Yeah, she was in Smallville. She's currently on Supergirl on TV because they're referencing everything that ever had a Superman (laughs) connection. But yeah, this was like her first movie role. Yeah, I love the fact that she like goes looking for him, walks into the trees, goes, oh, I'm lost, and then finds the House of the Dead. They have actually constructed... It vaguely looks cool. I just think it's like an empty set. It's not like a functional house, but there it is. This is the house that Castillo built, and she goes in there and watches her boyfriend punctured by a zombie. I guess it's an alien joke that a zombie sticks his hand through her stomach and looks like it's popping out. Okay, this is where I'm going to have to invoke zombie rules once again. For some reason in this scene and in no other scene, the zombie's eyes are glowing red here. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. They actually look kind of cool, and it's the only time I think you can see them in the first half of the movie. Later, there's like a couple making out, and they get attacked. It's like a whip pan. Like, I don't know it, what ran across the street. It could have been a squirrel. It could have been anything. <laughs> it doesn't feel like a tease. It feels like, wow, we did not get the shot. Yes. I know sometimes you don't want to show the monster. You want to build up anticipation. That's not how it's playing. It's playing like, wow, this person behind the camera is completely inept. I'm actually upset because... 
I'm afraid this is going to be yet another goreless film. You know, we just came away from doing the Tekken films and all of that. And these deaths are bloodless. Now, later on, they will start splatting some red around. I will never say that the gore is used effectively because they just can't afford Tom Savini to do anything more than give them five minutes of an interview. But when this hand comes through this chest, it is so obviously not even wet. It's almost like a puppet show. Yeah. Was this rated R? Because it feels like a PG-13 movie. This is definitely rated R with all the tits. Oh, yeah. right, of course. The titty shots. How could you make a <laughs> PG-13? I mean, if that's really the only reason to watch this is because there's numerous titty shots. There's also the girl on the boat who loses her top and decides to just talk to Clint Howard with no shirt on. Well, that's because her boyfriend vomited on her. Right, but then, like, Clint Howard comes in and has a full conversation with her, just, like, being casual topless. Yeah. It's things like that that make me feel like, okay, so are we supposed to be aware that this is somewhat of a takeoff of crappy 80s horror movies? Or is that just the quality that this movie's rising to? I think it wants to have it both ways. If you like it and you're scared, great, we're doing our job. But if you're like everyone else in the audience, then yeah, why don't you have a laugh at it? I want it to be funny. I really sense that Uva Bull has no affinity for this material. He was a hired gun. This is not a personal project. He thought, I'm just going to do a cheap zombie ripoff of Romero. I'll just make them faster this time. So fast, they don't get caught on camera. <laughs> Seriously, it's like 35 minutes before they finally get to this rave and everything is gone. Alicia is the only one that suspects something is wrong. She's like picking up bloody clothing and saying, I think something bad happened here. And everyone else is like, party! <laughs> And nobody's there to party with. Yeah. I don't care that there's no music. I don't care that there's no other people. Let's just shake it. <laughs> I mean, what can Biff Naked do that they can't? <laughs> I don't know. But I'm craving to see and experience the zombie attack at this point. This needs to exist on a B level where we just enjoy gore and silliness. And I'm ready for that movie to sink its teeth into that. Always cutting away right before it, we see anything interesting. Our first kill of one of the main characters is Cynthia. She and Greg are left behind at the rave while everyone else goes to find out why there's bloody clothing around and no one to be seen. And he goes into a porta potty that falls over and can't get out. And she gets attacked by silhouettes. She's in a tent. We see some PAs waving their hands, and that's it. That's the zombie attack. Right, and we're left to think that the zombies got both her and her boyfriend. The rest of the crew are already taken off, and they show up at the House of the Dead and find other survivors, including our character from the very beginning, Rudy, hiding in this house with a couple other people. This is so ill-defined and so dark at this point. It has finally become nighttime when the rave should actually start, and... I can't tell who's who, with the exception of Clint Howard, Jurgen Prochnow, and Ellie Rachel Cop. I can't tell the white guys apart from the white guys and the white girls apart from the white girls. Yeah, let me help you out with that because I think this is hysterical. Simon is the one that looks like Carrie Ann Moss. There's a clear Matrix thing going on here. He's the hot one. He's the one that all the girls want because he's an underwear model. No, no, no. Simon is a nerd who refers to himself in third person. <laughs> no, Simon's hot. He's an underwear model. Alicia thinks he's nerdy because he speaks in a fake British accent, but he's throwing all of his Calvin Klein money around. He's the only reason they were able to book the boat. He is hot and the world wants him. I know. Your I face... thought that was Greg. 
No, Greg is a ball player. I thought Greg was the one who hired Prosh now. <laughs> no. <laughs> I can't tell these hockeys apart. I'm trying to help you, dude. I know it's hysterical. Simon is hot. <laughs> and Greg is a baseball player. And Alicia is a fencer. And Karma is black. That is her only talent. <laughs> and then, yes, there are some other people. One of the best dancers at the rave, Liberty. She's here in her U.S. flag pantsuit. And then there was the nerdy guy with the camera. Right, who looks like a young Ethan Hawke. Who had the camera? Was he already on the island at the rave? His name's Hugh, and he shows them the footage of, again, he's no better cameraman than the actual cinematographer of this film. We see some guys run into the middle of that rave. Maybe they're zombies. Maybe they're eating people. But that's (laughs) supposed to convince them they now need to get off the island. Which means... That they actually did hold a rave, real world. They had a party, they had the setup, they had craft services there that day. They shot footage for this rave. Yeah. We saw scenes. We saw Liberty dancing. Yeah. It's shocking, again, that you would think that people would look at that and think it looks like a good time. But the point is that, yes, they have to go back to the dance floor and get Greg and Cynthia and then find their way back to the smuggler boat and get off of there. That's the mission that's going on. Oh my god, these people just wander around this island, and from the aerial shots, we do have an aerial shot of the island. It was before drones, they must have had a helicopter. Well, we see the helicopter in the shot at the end. I'm sure it was all done at once. (laughs) That's probably true. (laughs) One day, we got one shot at this, and Uva Bull demanded it two minutes ago. Not even one day, one flyover. (laughs) It looks like a fairly large island, but these people are literally doing stupid things like, let's split up. And then they have no way to meet back up again. And they're like, where did they go? Yeah, so many technical issues too. I mean, you're holding a rave on an island and there was one boat and no other boat to get off. I mean, they wander around so much of this movie looking for a boat. I don't know where they all went. I presume the zombies ate them. I can only (laughs) guess that that's what happened. But we finally get to see Cynthia as a zombie attacking. That was kind of fun. It's the greatest intro for Casper, the sheriff that has been following the smugglers, blows Cynthia away in the torso with a shotgun, and then shoots her in the head with a pistol, and then says, Who is that? (laughs) She didn't know she was a zombie. I just saw her jumping on a guy, and I fucking blew her away. That's awesome. Nice to meet everybody. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then the response was, She was our best friend. Not anymore. Again, if this is trying for comedy, there are moments of true brilliance here. (laughs) I think that was supposed to be like a badass Arnold line. It is. But Rachel can't deliver that. And also, something very similar happens shortly after when they're trying to figure out what the zombies are. And Captain Kirk is there and he's like... I have no idea what these are. Let me tell you their entire backstory (laughs) from the 15th century that I somehow know because I've been stashing my Cubans here. (laughs) Okay, real quick pop quiz. Just meta knowledge level. What motivates zombies generally? Food. Brains. Either or, right? Okay, usually not just homicide in general. (laughs) Cynthia is the first person that we've known in the movie who's turned to a zombie and her first act is to jump out to scare people and she breaks somebody's neck. (laughs) 
That's not a zombie. <laughs> I hear you. If these people are students of Romero, and we did have the film nerd guy name drop him before he had his neck broke, then they didn't study him very close. Or maybe this is the tweak that Bowl wants to make of, I'm going to have zombies that commit random acts of violence. <laughs> they pick up swords. They don't eat brains. Yeah, when we get to the lead zombie, which we're a little ways away from, he's not a zombie. He does not act like a zombie. Zombies are defining characteristic they don't talk if they talk it's brains right yeah i'm gonna hold it on him but yeah he's his own question but the middle of this movie is just let's find a boat and so we have a lot of people running back and forth will they find casper's boat will they find the smuggler's boat kirk's boat is fine it just happens that a few zombies swam up and got on the deck but Kirk's not even bothered with that. He shoots them and is still smoking his stogie. He couldn't care less. Why can't they get away in that boat? They could. (laughs) Yeah, they showed that it was tried. One of them runs in and jumps in the water and starts swimming and being attacked by zombies that are floating underwater. So they swim back. But they never showed how Kirk got off the boat and onto the island without that being an issue. So it's doable. And they killed all the zombies that were in the water. So I would say, hey, good job. Let's get on that boat. But instead, they're like, let's go back. The house is covered with zombies. We'll fight our way back inside. Hole up and just eat cigars. (laughs) He's like, I'm not supplies. And then he just pulls out a box of cigars. I'm like, that's not the kind of thing you need when you're holed up in a house with zombies for weeks. Yeah, I... Do not understand the moment where they say, let's go to the boat. No, no, it's overrun with zombies. Okay, let's go to this house. Okay. (laughs) Also overrun with zombies. (laughs) No, let's go to my boat. Was she just punking him because they never even get to another boat? She insisted on parking that boat on the other side of the island. I don't know what that was, but it gets Greg. That's the one thing that it does is that Greg, who was Cynthia's boyfriend, gets a scene where he's running around and hiding under tree roots. And at some point he steps on a twig and they all surround him and we think eat him. He will come back for a surprise return at the end of this film. We'll find out. In fact, that they have a purpose for his skin. But yeah, ultimately, it's all decided that they're going to just hole up in the house of the dead and wait it out with a box of cigars and a whole lot of ammo. The other thing that Kirk is smuggling is a lot of various kinds of guns. Yeah, they're just going action film here. He's supposedly a a weapon smuggler, and this is his box of bounty. I mean, he's got essentially $1,500 worth of weapons in this little (laughs) chest. (laughs) And as they're strapping it all on Rambo style, it should be said that Arnie already kind of mentioned this, that he just happens to mention the fact that he knows an old wives' tale that might explain what's going on here. Salish, who did believe it was haunted by evil demons, has wandered off into the trees. We don't know what's happened to him yet. So it falls to this captain who doesn't even think that there are zombies to now tell us, okay, at some point in Napoleonic times, or maybe in Conquistador times, they're wearing both outfits at the same time, (laughs) but there was a mad priest who was being taken to England, because hey, why not? And he decided to choke the captain, land the boat here, and continue his evil experiments. Were there cutscenes for this? Was there stuff about this that was further explained? Because I feel this is truly... I don't care how much it costs or how much you go into Overrun, you need it more to explain your main villain. There's nothing more as far as deleted scenes go. The writer didn't talk about more of this, but 
Man, this brown and white film is really telling me it's 15th century, isn't it? This guy, despite his clothes, does not look like he's from the 15th century. He looks like he's working out with Vin Diesel to be a stunt double. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Clearly a stuntman. Perfect white teeth that he's been using crest white strips on somehow throughout this time frame. (laughs) Just his body language and everything. I mean, I've not lived in the 15th century, but my seeing depictions of it in various other films... This guy just feels like he's going to the island for a rave, not going to the island to live 500 more years. Yeah, maybe he is the one that started the first rave. (laughs) They say he ate the tribesmen, and then I don't know what he did for the hundreds or decades that happened. Again, time is relative here. All I'm saying is we need a motivation. When they finally hilariously pin him down in the climax, and Rudy asks him, why did you want to become immortal? To live forever! (laughs) (laughs) Oh! Okay, well that clears that up. That circular logic does it. Stuart and I have had that as a running joke for so long. I mean, like, you were living in Chicago when I showed you this movie and you'd like come back once a year and we would certainly figure out a way to fit that into conversation oh yeah we, we the, the whole day i think we were like why did you eat that pizza i was hungry <laughs> <laughs> I, it just uh, you gotta define this guy if you do nothing else right Tell us who the hell was the guy that built the House of the Dead and what his experiments were all about. We sort of kind of barely get it when we get back into the house. But first, we need to have 20 minutes of cameras spinning around characters as they fire off their weapons. All right. All right. I'm going to say this. This was really fucking cool. I think it looked good. I think that the score, I'm not convinced they hired a composer or they just were using some Apple loops off of their map. But when you get the slow-mo shots and you get the matrix shots and you get the camera spinning shots, I do this. You know, these days in the games where you're using the third person games, you can control the camera with one stick and you control the character with another. I do these dramatic swoops with the camera and do the 360s to really make myself feel heroic and things. I love that shit for about three or four minutes. Mm. And then it still (laughs) kept going. We saw this in Alone in the Dark, too. I called it out that there was a lot of Matrix that he was doing bullet time long after that was a thing to do. Here, it's a little bit more forgivable. The Matrix sequels were coming out around this time, so it would have been a thing to copy. I suppose it's a little like the video game, too. If you remember when you die, when they actually cut to your last breath and you can't insert more coins, the camera does kind of go around you and you clutch your chest and you fall to the ground. I guess this is Bull either trying to be the Matrix or trying to be the game. It sounds silly. We laughed about it. But I get why Atari might have thought, hey, this guy will honor Alone in the Dark. We'll look at House of the Dead. Yeah, it's a shit movie, but it was probably wasn't his fault. He was trying to emulate gameplay, and so if we give him more money, he'll do right by Alone in the Dark. That's the only reason why I can understand why this movie launches you into a career of video game movies. Yeah, I mean, this did make his career. He has directed a lot since, and he falls upward, right? <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, if you're going to have a gimmicky sequence to put on your resume, you could do worse than this gimmicky sequence. It does feel like a demo reel for an effects person. 
Yeah, there's been lots of camera trickery, but this is like the show off. This is the real. This is like, you don't watch the whole movie. I'm just going to put this scene on and this will tell you what I am as a director. Maybe Atari only saw this scene and said, yeah, we'll get him for Alone in the Dark. What do you guys think, though? Because it happens a lot here. It's happened throughout the whole movie. But here specifically, we're seeing a lot of the game. Like they're shooting people and all of a sudden we're getting clips from House of the Dead. I got excited because that one demon from House of the Dead 2 the first boss was in one of those clips. I'm like, I shot him! But <laughs> So I guess that's what they're trying to do, right? I'm not sure how you picked anything out of those shots. They flash so quickly. It almost felt like subliminal advertising, but just done clunkily. Yeah, and it doesn't tie into what's happening. It's not like they're bringing up a moment in the game that is just like what they're experiencing. I'll say this. It is a bold decision. I don't think it works. No. But it is a bold choice. Yeah, again, it sends the signal to any video game company, hey, I love your game so much, I'm actually going to take footage of it and put it in movie adaptation. Oh my god, could you imagine if you did that with Alone in the Dark and we just cut to that 3D octagonal guy with the face? <laughs> Director's cut, I bet it could be done. Don't say that, he might hear you. I'll talk more <laughs> about that later. Okay, at any rate... In all of this melee that may look vaguely kind of sort of cool, we are at least seeing zombies now. And I do think while they don't move great, and I'm not thinking that this is competing on the same level as Resident Evil, though they may try, there's enough of a production budget here that if they wanted this to be scary and not action, these zombies look good enough to make that work. I actually think the character designs work they could have been scary in the right director's hands. It would have been scary to watch Liberty get sworn by them and eaten. Instead, they cut to Rudy and he just goes into this weird, almost like epileptic seizure. Do you remember this moment? She's being eaten, looking to him for help. And he just kind of looks at his shoes and replays every piece of footage that didn't make the previous <laughs> cut of the film <laughs> and then walks away. It's so strange. Yeah, he rewinds the movie for us all to see. <laughs> yeah. And you say epileptic. I wonder if in theaters people did have an epileptic seizure during this. Because when this sequence ends, it ends with strobing lights, and I'm not epileptic, and I thought I was foaming at the mouth. I mean, it was just bad. But anyway, Liberty goes down here on the outside. And I need to just stress, her name is Liberty. She's wearing an American flag spandex outfit. Yeah. And you don't know her name because it was said in a cutscene until... During the scene, somebody shouts, Liberty! And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, she wasn't supposed to last this long. If you remember earlier when they were trying to get to the boat, she wanders out into the water and like a zombie holds her under water. You think she's going to die. The original plan, we're going to kill her here. But then they found out the actress knew martial arts and they're like, well, shit, we need her for this big action scene later. So Liberty only lived as far as she did because she had that great kick. She's the only one I could recognize. Everybody needed a name that followed their outfit so I could keep them straight like video game characters. I suppose it's worthwhile to dwell here a little bit. And to Stuart's point, because, you know, this is the meat of this movie. And I think the makeup here is above average, especially for this particular movie. I mean, you can really phone in zombies. I mean, I've seen movies where it's just a little bit of makeup around the eyes and you get some blood dripping out of your mouth. That's a zombie. But they've got all kinds of zombies at different rates of decay here. And I was slightly impressed by at least 
the effects department work here. Yeah, I feel bad because this movie has such a bad reputation. Always cited as one of the worst video game movies. Terrible film. Awful, awful, awful. There were a lot of people working pretty damn hard to deliver a decent B-movie zombie. I do think that it is really, it falls to Bull. It's because Bull treated everyone so bad that this looks ridiculous. But in other hands, I do think you'd look at these zombies and go, cool. All right, I'm going to dissent a little bit. I think the main ones look pretty good, but when you're in the horde, I thought they forgot to put makeup on certain people because it really does look like some of the PAs just wandered into frame. When I saw the cutscenes, maybe they just hadn't cropped it yet, but the boom mic was quite clearly visible in several of them. Here, I just literally thought the caterer might have been visible in some of these shots. They weren't any of the people we'd been introduced to. They weren't zombified. They may have decent makeup on the ones we get close-ups of, but when you have these swarms during this quote-unquote action scene, they're just walking past people at times. Yeah, that goes back to the zombie rules that this movie just never sets up and never bothers to follow. Yeah, again, because I would say we have a person at the helm who just can't be bothered. This is Bull. The Bull is the one who is saying, oh, just do it, just do it. We're going to do the Matrix. We're going to do Alien. We're going to do this and that. And it's frustrating because I feel like the elements here probably wouldn't be so embarrassing. But yeah, what results here? I mean, I think we all know by this point, this movie is really terrible and there's still 25 more minutes to go. Really, my interest is waning here. They're whittling down the cast. I'm still not sure who's who. We do get a romantic scene. Simon, I guess, got bit on the cheek? No, acid. Acid spit on him. An alien reference, I guess. I don't know when zombies start spitting acid, but it spat it in his pretty, pretty face. Yeah, he's the handsome one, and it melted. I'm telling you, I don't, you look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> he's the handsome one? I thought he was the worst looking of all the men in this film. I'm not going to disagree, but the movie keeps telling us, I think, again, because Bull has a Matrix obsession, he looks like Carrie Ann Moss. He has the glasses, he has the pale androgynous face. Ergo, he's really hot. And also, he has that late 90s pretty boy Caesar haircut that probably... Uva Bowl thought was still cool in 2005. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but yes, he has been burned and the token black girl is so hard up. She's like, yeah, I'll take sloppy seconds. Wait a second. Wait a second here. So the black girl wasn't like pity making out with him because he was dying and turning into a zombie. They were actually having a moment where she's saying it's not so bad. She's referring to his scarring, not the fact that he's turning into a zombie. He's not turning into a zombie. That's what I never got. <laughs> yeah, no. No, she is literally saying, I'd still do you. I'm the wallflower that's been hanging out while everyone is making out, and nobody has noticed me. And so, at least finally, it took disfigurement, but finally someone will love me for five minutes. Yeah, there was a cut scene that what was happening is Greg was trying to set Simon up with newly single Alicia and Alicia didn't want anything to do with Simon, but Karma was obviously into Simon, but Simon was very focused on getting in Alicia's pants. So 
I think that actually would have helped me in the film to at least to find certain relationships instead of this rave is just going to turn into some weird orgy because everybody's indistinguishable. And here's one relationship that's completely indistinguishable. Casper is reunited with MacGyvers, who she was riding on the boat we never see. And he, like, jumps her. She ends up getting cut in half. This is kind of fun. (laughs) Once again, zombies using tools. Like, they're attacking her as she's crawling through a window. And one of them's got an axe just hacking away at her legs. I'm not quite sure what the purpose of that was. In the game, there were zombies with axes, so maybe that's trying to be faithful in some way, but I'm just glad that no more Rachel. Even more of a zombie movie sin is as soon as they get into the house through that window, Rudy just takes a piece of wood and lays it gently up against this window with zombies attacking. (laughs) I loved that. It was like he didn't want to break the window. Uh, Even better, Kirk has been bitten on the leg, but he was also bitten on the shoulder earlier. But they put a tourniquet on his leg like that's going to help him. They're like, okay, that's fine. You're going to be fine here. And Alicia finds the captain's log from the Spanish ship from centuries before. (laughs) Who wrote in that to say it was burned and he was killed? I'm wondering that. And it's in the middle of the log. There's like 300 more pages. But were those written in or is it just like a diary where some but he died and they were blank. But yes, I think it's the first officer's log because when the ship burned and the captain was killed, the most important thing was to write, Dear Diary, Captain Dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, we need a prequel. I think that's what we're really saying. I hope that they make that prequel to explain all of these lingering curiosities because there's been blood experimentation. We will get a passing line that Rudy, our ostensibly main character, is pre-med. So he can look into a microscope and go, wow, that's fucking genius. (laughs) (laughs) And that microscope looked like a couple of shot glasses put together. Prop guys had five minutes, Arnie. Five minutes. (laughs) But yes, I was curious how just looking at it like there, no, no needing a Petri dish. I don't know much about science and chemistry and biology, but I know what a Petri dish is. I know you're supposed to have a dripper and put some chemicals in and see reaction. You don't just look through the glass and go, wow. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't realize it at the time, but it is setting up the ending that we're going to get. He knows that the zombies now are being created by this blood experiment. So it's going to give him some ideas when Alicia is not going to live. Meanwhile, speaking of unhappy people, Jurgen is like, I want out of this film bowl. So he wanders outside, shoots Clint Howard, who God knows what he's been doing. Whistling... And I don't know this tune except from Revenge of the Nerds. Alpha betas are okay if you like sweat socks. We prefer your high IQs to their great big jocks. Lambda, lambda, lambda boys really are the best. Won't you take a piece of pie and we'll do the rest? I don't, it's, it's Love Me Tender. It is? Yeah. <laughs> of course, Artie. I just want to point out Elvis, one of our biggest musical icons. Everyone knows his music. I know it is the theme for Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> Of course you do. And can sing it, get it, get like his eyes fucking closed. Committed to memory. <laughs> you know the song, right, Justin? Yeah, by Elvis. Elvis actually stole that from a Civil War era song called Aura Lee. What? 
Wait, Elvis? Not only did he steal from black people, he's stealing from the Civil War, too? <laughs> Damn, that man had no original idea. There was a fair use at that point. Yeah, I mean, that's probably why it's in House of the Dead, frankly. <laughs> uh, you know they didn't pay Elvis's estate shit. <laughs> All right, admittedly, I know Love Me Tender. I do know Love Me Tender. Okay. I just, when I hear it a cappella by a female sorority group, and then I hear it whistled by Clint Howard, I'm not putting it together with the Elvis rhythm. Okay. At any rate, Jurgen's like, I'm done. He lights up the dynamite stick for no particular reason, blows up nothing. I mean, nothing is accomplished by this. He blows up a handful of zombies. Maybe one. <laughs> and so it's going to instigate that. I think they now can get through the front door. The front door got blown up. Which is something he specifically didn't want earlier. When they're trying right. to get in, they're like, let's break down the door. No, don't break down the door. They'll come in after us. And then he blows it up with dynamite. Yeah, there is so much contradiction. <laughs> Characters going one place and then saying, why don't we go back to the other place? And then we'll go to the other. It's, it's maddening. It's absolute insanity to try and follow and parse out what's going on the screen. But we are headed to a climax. I want to tell people, if you are as confused as we are listening to this show, it's getting to the point where everyone's just trying to get back to a boat again. They are? I, I think they were so. at the house. They, they mentioned that they find some underground tunnels and they're going to go back to the beach. Yeah, they have that little map where he points out, oh, there's catacombs that lead out to the beach. That must be how they got supplies to the house. You know, the beach that they left to come to the house. <laughs> oh my God, this is hurting me. Yeah. And then they get in there and they find his lab back at the house, right? Uh, there's like a couple different labs, but yeah, at one point, let's just rush it through here. Simon nobly dies by shooting some gunpowder and killing some zombies. What was in the red tank? Uh, remember eels? Remember playing the game that was my least favorite thing was when like there would be these little like worms or something. It was some kind of zombified eel, maybe. Yeah, it was just something that was formerly alive that is being kept alive in this blood that they've just discovered is what's animating corpses. Yeah, Rudy knows that the blood is what it's all about at this point, because he's seen it. And then the cadaver that was on the slab sat up. Maybe they injected blood into him. No, it's because she shot the tank that had the scary thing in it, and the blood spilled out onto that corpse. Oh. oh. Okay. I did not catch all of these nuances. <laughs> Three times watching this, and I'm still not sure what the fuck is going on, because... They're saying one thing and doing another. Right. Yes. There is no consistency in character or action here. I mean, legitimately, I'm looking at, I believe, MST3K's most famous film, Manos, The Hands of Fate, has more continuity between script and action <laughs> than this film has. I cannot keep it straight. These people are just Acting indistinguishable. There's nothing in performance outside of Jurgen Proshnow and basically the older ones who bring something with them. I'm lost at this point and I'm struggling to just understand what they're doing. But if you glaze over and you just don't pay much attention and you just see them run from place to place, it's subpar, but only by two or three strokes. Right. It's better than Rave to the Grave. That's, yes. what, I, that's what I can give this movie, that, that <laughs> the production values are still higher than some of the absolute dreg zombie movies that we've had to sit through that have come out under the umbrella of Romero. Yeah, I mean, Rave to the Grave was Return of the Living Dead, so not quite Romero, but this is still better than Diary of the Dead. 
I don't know if the whole movie is better than that. But no, but this zombie action is better than that found footage shit. Yeah. You don't need to know the characters because the point of a horror movie like this is that we kill him and we killed Simon. He didn't have anything to live for anyway because his pretty face he is ruined. He lost his looks. Yes. <laughs> He's an underwear model anyway. I don't know why we need to see his face. Karma. She was willing to love him, but there was no way they were going to let the black girl live in a movie like this. At least she wasn't the first to go. No, but they were in camouflage. The zombies just like are lying around with like grass on them and then they jump up and get her in the tunnel. I thought those were like the thriller ones. Like those were buried there and just coming out of the ground and that's why they looked like moss. At some point it looked like the original crew of the ship. They do look like they're wearing those conquistador outfits. And so maybe they are so mossy because they have been lying there so long. The point is we finally get back to Castillo and we're just with the two cast members that we're supposedly caring about. Alicia and her ex-boyfriend Rudy are now going to be his new skin. He lures them back to his lab by wearing Greg's face. They weren't sure that Greg was dead. He had slipped off to the woods, but then they find his skinned body hanging upside down and Castillo lifts off that face. Oh, what a horrible <laughs> cut that was too. It's, I mean, you just cut and now he's pulling the face off. Mission Impossible 1 was better than this. <laughs> it feels like a Hellraiser sequel I never would have recommended, but he's licking her and talking about wanting flesh. And I think the point is they're going to pair off these two skin and because this guy is so stitched together he will maybe have a nice new coat that won't look so monstrous absolutely ridiculous of a impetus for what he's been doing what i love is somewhere along the line somebody said hey we can't just have this story of castillo and have him in a flashback and then pop him out at the end we have to have him seemingly around throughout the movie so what they did is they shot him standing behind a pine tree branch. Yeah. And used that shot like four times sprinkled throughout the movie. He is like a voyeur. Like he was waiting for the <laughs> rave to get naked so he could just watch. Was it the idea to have all this young flesh dancing and he would pick them out? Like he was a rock star. I want that one and that one and that one. And those will be my new coat of skin. Again, I'm making things up because they have not developed anything about this guy. They do have one more flashback where he's telling executioners who aren't even on screen, you can't kill me. They try to hang him and torture him. Now he's immortal because of this blood. And so now he just wants to look pretty and live on a tropical island. Yeah, and like you said, he's he's kind of stitched together some skin for himself, and this is some of the worst makeup in this movie. If this is supposed to be the main guy that we're supposed to be most afraid of, he's just coming off as a goofy... He looks like the guy from Mystery Science Theater that wears the hood. Yeah, I agree. I couldn't believe how shoddy the lead guy's makeup is, and... I'm trying to reconcile that we were supposed to be able to see the priest as he was and that he's supposed to be a better zombie because he's able to talk and able to move faster and things. But yet they needed something other than this, which looks just like a bad start to a mummy outfit. Like you're starting some paper mache newspaper on him and stop too early. Even Bowles said he didn't like this job. It was a mask. The difference is this wasn't an appliance that they glued onto his face. It was literally just, again, probably because of time, the makeup people were like, oh yeah, we can develop something nice for you. Well, I need it in five minutes. 
okay, or we could just give you this. <laughs> <laughs> we ran dispensers. Yeah. They found this. We modded it a little with the newspaper paper mache. Mm-hmm. Here you go. Yeah, I, it feels like talented people at the whims of a madman who will not have the patience to tell this B-movie at the pace that it needs to go. But at least we are down to two survivors. Easy to keep track of now. Know who our main ones are. Because Alicia, because it was just said in voiceover that she was fencing, I never even knew who his ex was. So now that they're together, I get this, but... A sword fight in broad daylight is really where this is going. That's where they want to put it. Mm. The fencing. They broke up because of the fencing, and that's what's going to bring them together. It's beautiful. It's poetic. I cried, actually. It was beautiful. (laughs) Oh, I was crying. But to Arnie's point, yes, the entirety of the climax of this movie is taking place at night. Why not finish it at night? What is so scary about mid-morning? You know, there is usually the, oh, everything's better, everything's happy moment, and then the jump scare of, uh, that's how a horror movie likes to end it, is that you think you've reached daylight, and in fact, the nightmare is not over. Sure, incompetent movies. And and sometimes after a rave, sunlight is a very scary thing when Mm. you have to face the night before. Yeah, all I know is she gets stabbed in the cleavage, and her dying act is to cut his head off and then stomp on the brain. No, 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 Rudy cuts the head off. She gets stabbed. He picks up that machete that Captain Kirk was so proud of earlier. He's like, this is the best. It can't shoot anything. It wasn't the best, Kirk. Everyone else has a gun, but he picks up that machete, beheads him, which isn't enough to kill him because we're going to get this reanimator moment of the headless body still choking Rudy and then stabbed in the chest. Alicia's going to stand up and have the strength to squash that skull with her food. This is the kind of thing that a filmmaker like Sam Raimi could pull off. If we were having the fun of an Evil Dead 2, then this kind of stuff is icing on a rich cake. Instead, it just feels like sloppy, lazy, and when will this godforsaken thing end? Soon. But first, we got to get the full circle of bringing us to the video game. We need AMS agents to show up in that chopper and to ask Rudy who he really is. And then we don't get, but I think is implied, that while he was waiting for them, he went to that lab that may or may not have been blown up. It was. There was the gunpowder. Everything blew up. I thought so, and yet, maybe not. I'm not willing to say. Yeah, I took it that the area that blew up was in almost a vestibule between the lab and that area that they escaped to. Whatever the reason, he got the magic blood and presumably injected his dead girlfriend with it. And by bringing her to civilization, he's actually creating the circumstance that will cause gamers to have hours of fun. I did not get this from watching the movie that he injected her. I see him carrying her off. The guys say, will she be okay? He's like, I don't know. And It wasn't until listening to the commentary from the writer and he goes, yes, all of this happened off screen and you have no way to know it except by listening to this commentary because it was never filmed. Oh, but he did say in the voiceover, he said, and we went back with Alicia, whatever she is now. So he does drop it pretty heavy in the voiceover. I guess I didn't realize whatever she is now meant he had injected her. What you have to realize is most of this movie's plot, whatever there is of it, is revealed in post-ADR narration. Everything that is going to explain what happens is because Rudy or somebody else tells us in voiceover. 
And you know what? I came so close to reading this movie. I came so close to downloading the subtitles and just reading it because I thought that would have helped me more than actually watching this movie did. But this shouldn't be work, right? This is a bad movie. We should be laughing. I'm curious to know if you guys had fun. We all know it's bad, but was it good too? Justin Stewart, do you recommend House of the Dead? Justin. I came into this probably the same attitude both of you had. I'm guessing we all were kind of hoping for a brown arrow here. I mean, it's got all the makings to give us brown arrow territory. I mean, we've got campy humor. We've got Uva Bowl back. We've got zombies. It's just ripe for that. And throughout this movie, none of it gels together. It's not a good campy movie. It's not a good scary movie. It's not a good parody movie. It's just a bunch of scenes that feel kind of strung together. And like I mentioned earlier, it's kind of a slap in the face to sit here and be pulling out the references that this movie is stealing from, only to have the movie say, yes, we know you know that we're stealing this stuff. So it's kind of like, what are we doing here? Why are we watching a movie about an arcade shooter that the person who's making it doesn't care about? But I think the the biggest thing here is, after watching this movie... I was like, okay, fine. It wasn't good. I'm not going to give it too much thought. But after finding out from you guys that the screenplay was actually done with somewhat of love and a little bit of fandom, and it just was just tossed out in deference to Uva Bull's ego, just kind of pisses me off even more. There could have been a decent movie here, and once again, our second go-around with Uva just leaves me pissed off. So yeah, I'm, I'm pissed that I can't give it a brown arrow. And obviously it's not going to get a recommend at all for me. So it just leaves me going, hey, Stuart. Yeah, that is the thing that is so frustrating about Bull is you think that if you're the reputation of having the worst filmmaker of all time, what fun it would be to experience the train wreck every time we watched one of your films. But they're not awful in any special way. You watch something like The Room or something like an Ed Wood movie, and those are unique characters that had something to say. They wanted to communicate an idea that was unconventional, and they did so in a technically inept way that is de both delightful and revealing and creates a warmness. You know, I feel connected with those filmmakers, even though I recognize on some level, wow, what bad filmmakers they are. Here, this is a soulless craftsman with no craft. I wish he was as funny as he thinks he is, but it's a poor pastiche of every other zombie and horror movie you've ever seen done by a guy who thinks if you do it faster, so fast the camera can't catch it, that it will impress today's kids. He seems to have disdain at the same time that he's no better than the lowest common denominator. And it's just frustrating that I can't have more enjoyment. There is some. I did laugh at a lot of the dialogue. There are exchanges that I think Brown Arrow amusing, but to undergo this whole movie to experience them, that I cannot recommend. There are plenty of ways to have a laugh with a bad movie, and this one, and Alone in the Dark, we're just seeing that this guy isn't good at making a brown arrow any more than he is at making a green arrow. I was a little bit torn on if this was going to be a brown or a red arrow. Because what I can say is, there's red and brown in here. And I walked out feeling refreshed. Mm. 
because I felt like a prisoner who was going in for sentencing and expecting to be told I was going to be killed by lethal injection and instead just got 20 to life. <laughs> you didn't get beheaded? Yeah. I just keep thinking about Alone in the Dark and really the sting that is still not healed of Alone in the Dark 2. Mm -hmm. And in watching this... At no point did I think I need to break out a flamethrower and eradicate a copy of this off the earth. <laughs> and so that was a plus. Yeah, I agree. But that's also a minus too, right? There's something fun about a guy who makes films so bad they could actually hurt you. And here, anybody could have made this. I mean, it's just a dumb fan film, really. It has real humorous moments and it has actual technical proficiency in those 360 degree shots. I mean, it was the best car ad technology available in 2002 when this was made. It's where the money went. I agree that you hear the expression money shot. It was, yes, those going 100 miles an hour around real actors. That's how they did it. It is something. And this movie doesn't look like utter shit. Like Justin said, the main zombies look good. They hired attractive people and put them in attractive spandex for the rave. Except for Simon, the underwear model. Yeah. <laughs> Liberty deserves a spinoff. She deserves to, like, come back and just get her own karate zombie movie. Yeah, she should get in the ring with Uva Bull and kick his ass. Yes. Forget the film critics. We know they can't hang, but she could do it. But in the end, this is not a good movie. It is bad, but not so funny bad that I think this deserves that brown arrow. I thought about it, but no, I'm just going to give it a straight up red and just say it's the best Uva Bowl film I've ever seen. Now, by the time we're done, I'm going to be seeing a lot more. But this is the best I've seen. Yeah, I agree. I If gun to the head, I would choose to watch this one again over Alone in the Dark. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because it doesn't take itself seriously. I mean, Alone in the Dark thought it was doing something. It really did try to scare you. This movie just knows it's running through the motions and just referencing, referencing, referencing. But on the plus side, Alone in the Dark had Christian Slater, Tara Reed, and Stephen Dorff. So I was able to at least tell the characters apart, whereas this has a whole bunch of actors from like Final Destination 2 and the stuntman who played Michael in Halloween Resurrection and just nameless people that are indistinguishable. The actors don't give good performances and they don't distinguish themselves with their characterizations of characters and nothing visually Nothing in their performance, nothing in their story helps me to tell which one's the underwear model and which one's the biologist. I'm just going to put it out there, though. I really only blame one person. It's the director we must hate. Whatever is wrong on screen, it all lies at his feet. The director, the director, the director. So if you're giving him sole blame, how would you feel about a director, director, director's cut? <laughs> no, not this director. <laughs> There's no redemption. Oh, they didn't let me do what I wanted? No. We've seen what he can do. For the fifth anniversary of oh. this movie. <laughs> Come now. Did they really re-release this movie? On DVD, oh. not in theaters. Oh. It's also sometimes known as the funny cut. Oh. Well. <laughs> That's where he really excels. <laughs> And understand, this was its own release. It was not a bonus feature. You did not get the regular cut. You were buying only the director's cut. It starts off with Uwe Boll on his knees 
tied up and there's a couple of terrorists. I use that term loosely because it looks like they're in like football jerseys, but terrorists who say in the name of Osama bin Laden, Uva will be killed for the movies he's made. And he goes, that's fine. And then he goes, but first you'll have to watch your movies. And Uva's like, oh no, anything but that. Uh, he's funny, isn't he? Because he's self-referential. This is what happens, right? When they laugh at you and call you the worst director ever, you say, oh yeah, I meant to do that. I mean, that's a bad defense, but what else can he say? But I knew it would be funny. It was my point all along. Yeah. What he did was basically, you guys know pop-up videos, right? Uh-huh. He did pop-up videos with funny pop-ups about rules for surviving House of the Dead, and it was things like, do take your top off, don't drink beer you find on the beach, and funny other things about how terrible the actors are in it, which I think is actually a little cruel. Mm. The actors not being good and not being well cast, I think is really his fault. And so to make comments about how bad of actors they are, that's tacky, I think. Oh, I want to see the actors cut. That's what I want to see. <laughs> I want to hear them talk about what it was like to be directed in this way. See how funny that is. And then they used what looked like I'd hesitate to say alternate footage, but maybe cuts that were being done, like test cuts or just camera tests and things. Mm -hmm. So when they're doing like the 360 camera stuff, we get some of them just standing there smiling goofily. And I'm guessing they were like doing special effects tests and said, all right, just stand there. We're going to swing this camera around you. Does that add to the humor? Is Why would you include that? Yeah, I don't know. And in this cut, they inserted, I guess, a running gag where Clint Howard said what they were smuggling wasn't Cuban cigars, but actually, and this just tells you the whole level of the humor here. Mm. David Hasselhoff music videos smuggled in from Germany that will make them rich. Ha 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 ha. Oof. Yeah, this guy. Can't wait for the comedy albums. Yeah, and- he inserted sounds like laugh tracks or the whole audience going, uh, when things are really bad. Or when people bend over, there's a lot of fart sounds added in. Yeah, okay. you don't understand. You're funnier when you're trying to be serious. When you're trying to turn into a joke, it's kind of like Tommy Wiseau, you know. We saw with the disaster artist, years later, he tried to embrace it as a midnight movie and, you know, oh, I knew it was going to be bad. No, the fun of it is, the reason why we laugh is because you believed in this and it is so terrible. And yet he did a commentary track for this cut where he just talks about being misunderstood as a filmmaker and how his early films were comedies and comedy is very important and he has a socio-political statement with these films. All right, well then I'm going to go hunt down one of his great early works before he turned to video games. Next time we cover his ass, I'll I'll try to do him <laughs> that, that favor and we'll just see how funny he is. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a challenge that I don't feel like will be fruitful. But the more I hear about this guy, the more I just, it's hard to hate somebody you don't know. But man, he, he makes it hard not to. Mm. <laughs> He's going to push that boundary there, too. <laughs> I'm going to say the director's cut is even worse than the theatrical cuts. And to sell it on its own is the crassest of commercialism. If it was a bonus feature, I'd be kinder to it. But that you made people pay for this or that you didn't make them. Hopefully nobody bought it but me. Hopefully I'm the only person in the world. It was hard to track down. And I think it should stay that way. 
Yeah, he wants to have everyone doing Sharknado parties and Rocky Horror to this, and it's never going to happen. No one is going to have a good time with this film in any way, shape, or form. I'm relieved to know that we're done with this film, but... And I want to thank you for not taking a shit in my house this time. (laughs) (laughs) But I do remember Alone in the Dark 2 was so much more painful than Alone in the Dark. Could that possibly be true of House of the Dead 2? I've never seen it. Mm -mm. I'm scared guys i'm really scared alone in the dark 2 is the singular worst time i've ever had watching a movie for now playing and we're repeating the pattern it's a sequel to a uva bowl film that uva bowl isn't doing oh god <laughs> i don't know that tekken 2 is right there with alone in the dark 2 i just think i don't know it's a race uva's not the only one that can shit the bed it seems like a no-win situation you know there's a two looming in front of us now do you want uva to be involved or do you do want to not be involved i want it to be over but it's going to take a while before we're completely done with them in the meantime our silver level series is going on strong mother of tears is coming out this friday it is the conclusion to dario argento's three mothers witch trilogy what is that you may ask it stars Asia Argento, caught in the news right now for what she may have done. Not in a good way. <laughs> yes, exactly. If you want to know what she is as an actress, and if you want to know about Dario Argento, I do hope you can join us for that Silver Level donation series as we build up to the new Suspiria movie in about a month. So listeners, thank you for joining us back in the arcade. And Justin Stewart, thank you for joining me. Until next time, game over, fucker. listening to this episode of now playing podcast see you on hell boys we hope you've enjoyed the show did you hear what i said it works i'm going to live forever come back to nowplayingpodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast what part of shove off didn't you understand and in the nowplayingpodcast.com archives you can find reviews of other video game movies including super mario brothers Warcraft, Doom, Resident Evil, Alone in the Dark, Need for Speed, Street Fighter, Double Dragon, DOA, Dead or Alive, Mortal Kombat, It Came from the Desert, Tomb Raider, Tekken, Rampage, Wing Commander, Final Fantasy, Prince of Persia, and more. Even now, you hold the secrets of eternal life within you. You hold on to them, keeping me alone in the dark. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. You've tried the rest. Now try the best. Do you want to continue? 
You got yourself some sort of hearing disability? I ask you a question. Insert money now to keep playing Now Playing. We've got your back. Just make sure you got ours. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. You will encounter steep resistance. Not everyone will make it. But for the ones that do, this will be a day long remembered. Long remembered, sir! You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Have you looked at your paycheck lately? Sounds like a good deal to me. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. A tight ass like you probably enjoy being eaten by me. You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. How much? If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. Zombies don't read. They ain't hooked on phonics. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. You should take a look at this. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. You created it, Ozzy. You could be immortal. Why? Now Playing's video game retrospective series is edited by David and Arnie. So sorry. I don't know what to say. Don't say anything. We've all lost people we love. Won't be the first and certainly won't be the last. Now playing credits read by Brock. Just love the sound of your own voice, don't you? Pretty much, yeah. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Way to win friends and influence people. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. This entire mission was a waste of time. We lost a lot of good men out there. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Sometimes a mind isn't a terrible thing to waste. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2018, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. See you around, Slugger. No. You won't.
Stewart in LA. I'm not in LA. <laughs> I'm sitting right here in Springfield. Stewart wishes he was in LA, not recording about this film. And his first mate, Salish, played by Clint Howard. He's had worse movies. We've reviewed him in worse movies. Has he ever had more lines in a movie, though? I think that's one thing that I've learned here, is you don't put Clint Howard in multiple scenes and you don't give him more than four things to say. Oh, yeah. You know, he's worked long enough that he's had roles big and small. He spoke a lot in, I believe it was Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, Initiation. <laughs> yeah, he, you know what? He actually spoke quite a bit in Rock and Roll High School as well. Oh, and let's not forget his major role in The Wraith, where he's the mechanic. <laughs> Thank you for bringing up Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> and The Wraith, both in one. Yeah, we just need real genius now. <laughs> Thank you for doing that. It gets us no closer to having any sort of knowledge of why Clint Howard is actually whistling that tune. <laughs> really terrible, and there's still 25 more minutes to go. I thought you were about to coin a term there, Stuart. I thought you were about to say this movie is complete bullshit. 